0: Turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, and then hold your finger, if you would, in Exodus 17. So one in the New Testament, one all the way back to Exodus 17, and we'll read both of those. Acts chapter 8 and Exodus 17. Again, it's good to see you tonight. It's one of my favorite—I guess every service is kind of my favorite service of the week. Every service is a little bit different, and uh, this is kind of the home folks, and uh, we can just kick our shoes off and relax a little bit. It's just us, right? Uh, But uh, this is also a time where there's so much good instruction. I can remember growing up in church, and so much instruction that I can still remember today came from a Wednesday night service, a Wednesday night series we were going through. And uh, so don't ever ever think— uh, skipping out of church is the way to go. Be, be there every time. Brother, uh, Jeremiah, Brother John even said it. Be there every time the doors are open. Uh, this is a great service, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to speak tonight. We'll be in Acts chapter 8, all the way down to verse uh, 26. We know the story here. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge who had the charge of all their treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Skip on down to verse number thirty. He's reading scripture, and in verse number thirty, Philip ran thither to him and heard him, read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, And preached unto him Jesus. Verse 37, he asks what to be baptized. And then in verse 37, Philip says, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, And said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Back to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, verse number 1. At the end of verse number one, we're in the children of Israel now. They have, of course, left Egypt and they're out in the wilderness. And at the end of verse one, it says, There was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Or Moses got blamed for everything in that wilderness, <laughs> and he just brought them through the Red Sea, and now they're complaining, you came out here to kill us. Verse number four, and Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, what shall I do unto this people? they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. And behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. And there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time together again this evening. Bless this uh, reading and the teaching, preaching of your word tonight. We ask that you would help it to be beneficial to everyone. Lord Holy Spirit, work in only the way you can to each and every need and each and every heart tonight. And uh, we pray that you would just use me. And uh, again, we ask that you would bless us this evening as we go our separate ways. Help us to live for you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, while you're seated, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Uh, tonight, we're, we're just uh, just a little bit of a Bible study and then a little application at the end. And as Brother Buchanan, my former pastor, previous pastor, home pastor, growing up, used to say, we'll go eat a bologna sandwich and go to bed. Um, bologna and onion sandwich, I don't think I've ever had a bologna and onion sandwich, but that was his line. I don't know if he ever did that, but he always said, let's go eat a bologna and onion sandwich and go to bed. Go to sleep. So we'll go eat a sandwich of whatever you desire and go to sleep. <laughs> uh, but a little bit of a Bible study tonight. We'll be in the book of Isaiah, and we'll skip around a little bit if we have time. Um, but uh, a few weeks ago, I was borrowing a trailer, and I had an issue with my lawnmower, and so I was borrowing a trailer to bring it to somebody to get it fixed, and. Uh, so got it taken care of. wasn't a big deal. Went to unload, went to take take the trailer off and leave it, and uh, I couldn't get it off. I couldn't get the trailer, uh, the ball, out of that tongue of that trailer. And I'm yanking on it, so I'm, you know how you do, you, you roll that thing up and roll that thing up, and the bottom comes down, and the trailer starts pulling up, and it was pulling the back of my vehicle up, and I'm, try, I'm jumping on the back of my vehicle trying to get it loose, and I, I'm banging on that little, little pin. I'm banging on everything in there trying to get it loose. It was kind of half broken and dented. So it wasn't really working properly, and it wasn't letting go of the ball of that socket. And I, I could not get it loose to save anything. And I'm, I'm jumping on it, and it's kind of a weird angle anyway. It's a weird piece of metal, and I can't get my hands really, can't get a grip on it. So finally, I just pulled the pin out of that thing and drove out from under it and left my uh, left my socket. It was getting late at night, and I said, I'm not staying here all night doing this. I'll get it later. I'll get it in the morning. And so I popped the pin out uh, of, uh, of that thing and just... Uh, left my hitch in the trailer and said, I'll get it later when I get some help. Um, but it, it got me thinking when I was going over this today, um, there's, there's a little pin. I actually brought one here today. There's a little pin. Most of us have seen this if you ever hooked up a trailer before. You got that pin, you pull it out. Uh, I usually, uh, one of our vehicles has a hitch that goes to it. Uh, I know some people hide theirs because apparently people steal their hitches around here. We've had that done, and I know we hide ours around here, I think. So I hide mine usually. I pull the pin out, stick it in the car or whatever, hide it at the house uh, until I need it. But uh, the pin is a very important item. I'm not dumb enough to drive without one of those stuck in that trailer hitch because after a few bumps and after a few turns, that thing is going to loosen up and uh, the load's going to get lighter. You're going to take off, and your trailer might veer off the road without you. I've never done that with a trailer. I've done it with a tire. I've done it with a wheel before. I forgot to tighten the lug nuts, Uh, and boom, and then my wheel went out, and it wasn't my car either, so that made it even worse. Uh, Whoops. (laughs) I thought I tightened those, but I guess I didn't. Uh, I've never done that with a trailer, though, but the pin is a very important part, and it's a small part, but man, if you don't have that pen involved in the trailer process, if you don't have that pen stuck in in the right spot, uh, it's, it's, it's going to loosen up quick. A lot of people would call this a linchpin. Um, there's books being written in the business world now. I haven't read really any of them, but I've just seen the, seen the, seen the basis of them, and how to be a linchpin in your business. And basically, it's written to leaders who aren't the owner, they're not the operator, and they're not necessarily the follower either. They're kind of in the middle, middle management type people and how to be a linchpin, how to be so important that the boss can't fire you, and the people under you need you, and uh, how to keep your job, basically, and how to, how to make people like you because you do such a good job. Uh, and so that's, that's the basis of it. And there's some, there's some linchpin things in life. There's some vital things. There's some important things. I hope, I hope, uh, you know, the pastor left, Brother Miller left, and and we would think that's a linchpin office. I think in the office of the ministry or the church, you know, we we brought in a new new pastor and thank God for that. Speaking of, I was looking at, at some different notes and things, and I came across something uh, that I spoke in the church, like on a Wednesday night back in April, and it was basically through a transition period. Uh, and I thought, man, how far we've come! It seems like a long time ago when we were talking about transitioning from a new past, from an old pastor to a new pastor, and uh, thank God for what He's done for us in our church. Uh, here over these last few months and this last year, but uh, I was uh, thinking about this pen and thinking about how how it relates. Uh, you know, I want to be that type of person in the ministry. I want to be that type of Christian. I want to be that type of person in my family. I don't want to be gone. And everybody says, "Oh, they're not here today." Oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, they died last year. I didn't know. Uh, I want to be an important type of person. I want to be a vital person in, in 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 my family, in my job, and the things that I do, and the people that know me. Um. There are vital organs in your body that you can't can't live without. Um, I was uh, w- speaking of bringing in a new pastor. We made sure to bring in an LSU fan, and so. That was one of, the, one of the requirements of the deacon board, make sure he's following the right team. Uh, and so uh, it's just worked out that most of us are, are LSU followers. And I just have a bone to pick really quickly. This is, uh, you can, we can delete this from the record if we need to. But this is kind of a church matter I want to deal with really quickly. Every time Alabama beats us, I hear from all of you who I never knew were Alabama fans, and they come out of the woodwork talking trash to me and making fun I can't get out of my car on Sunday morning after a Saturday I lost to Alabama. People are hiding behind their cars, jumping out, roll tide, and uh, meeting me in the hallway. Roll tide! I didn't know you're an Alabama fan. You have no affiliation with the team, university, but you're going to give me a hard time, give us a hard time anyway. So I'm just going to say I'm going to be the bigger Christian. I'm not going to talk trash. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, because we might end up playing them in the playoff, and you know that might go with us. So I, I, I don't talk trash because it comes back to get you. But I just wanted to get that off my chest about some of you who who like to talk. I haven't heard from you recently. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. But uh, I was following college football, and uh, the quarterback from Alabama has been hurt. And then this last game, he got really hurt. Uh, If you follow the story, if you don't, he's running from two behemoth (laughs) defensive linemen who are chasing him down and going to rip him limb from limb, uh, off for a football. Uh, But they're chasing him down. And uh, he throws the ball away and still gets tackled. They jump on him, and uh, he lands wrong, probably trying to protect his other injury. He lands on his knee, and his the, the, the ball socket, speaking of a ball socket, came out of his hip. And not only did it pop out of his hip, not only did his hip come out, but that ball shoved up into his hip and cracked his hip and broke the back of his hip. I was listening to a guy, a surgeon, talk about this, and I was getting nauseous. Listening to him tell this this injuries happened to some athletes before, and listen to him talk about the blood vessels getting constricted, and we have to we have to make sure that uh, uh, what do they call it reduce we have to reduce the injury, which means we have to put it back in place. And I thought, oh my soul! And he's talking about the ins and outs of this surgery. I thought, my goodness! And this, this poor guy, man. He seems like a good guy, and he's in pain on the football field, and they had to they had to wheel him off and take him to the hospital, fly him. All night, And I thought about that. He got injured, but it wasn't fatal. It wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't a vital part of his body. It wasn't at the heart of the matter. Now, for sure it was in pain. For sure he was in pain. I was in pain watching him. I didn't even see it. I saw the highlight later, and I was in pain looking at the guy. I was in pain hearing this surgeon talk about how the surgery had to go and what actually happened inside this poor guy's body and how they had to fix it. There are certain things that we can do away with. There are certain, you know, I enjoy my extremities. I enjoy my hands, my fingers, my toes. But we can live without some of those things. There are some things we can't live without. They're vital. Uh, they are linchpin items, like driving with a trailer. I can't drive a trailer without this pin stuck in because bad things are going to happen. And it will be fatal for me as a Christian to remove things. Uh, this, th- this evening, I want to talk about a, what I feel like is a linchpin chapter, a linchpin place in the Bible. We just can't live without. As Christians, we have to have it in there. The book of Isaiah really quickly has 66 chapters. Uh, we went over in Sunday school a few months ago, and I wanted to kind of get into this, so Wednesday night gave me an opportunity. <laughs> Tonight gave me an opportunity to get a little bit more into it. Uh, but the book of Isaiah has, has 66 chapters. It's a mimic, uh, mimicking of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. The first 40, some of us actually have a Bible where at, at chapter number 40, there's a break or a part two. You might not have that in your Bible, but some people have put that in their Bible. There's a part two. There's a new, new look to the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters mimic the first 39 books of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament. From 40 on to 66, we see a change in behavior. We see a change in tone. The very first word, if you're in Isaiah 40, verse number one, the first word is comfort. For 39 books, for 39 chapters, the Lord has beaten down in judgment and has has laid down the law to the people of Israel, to Babylon, to anybody and everybody who will listen. The Lord has sent Isaiah to preach, and it has been judgment and law. And it's a little depressing to read, to be honest. And it's a tough read, not because it's hard to understand, just because it's convicting, and my people have left me. You've done this, you've done that. And it mimics what the Old Testament does. Much of the Old Testament is law and punishment, and judgment. And then in the Bible, there's several hundred years, and then we turn the page, and there's a man named John coming, and he's preaching a new thing. He's preaching this Jesus. He's preaching somebody's coming. He's preaching grace and repentance through faith. And in chapter 40 of Isaiah, it mimics the Bible in the New Testament. The first word of chapter 40, verse number 1, is comfort. You might be able to look at 40, verse number 3. And see how it mimics the New Testament. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. That sounds like John. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight. And on and on and on. And so at chapter 40, there's a turn. In the next 27 chapters of Isaiah, things get a little lighter, I guess you could say. There's a, there's a, there's a preaching of grace. There's a preaching of hope. There's a preaching of 39 books. You've been beat up with judgment and law and you're guilty. Now, let me tell you the remedy. It's kind of like the Bible. It's kind of like preaching. It's kind of like how we get convicted, and then the Lord, the Lord doesn't convict us to condemn us. The Lord convicts us to make us repent and come back. And thank God that there's hope at the end of, uh, at the end of that conviction. Thank God there's hope at the end of you're a sinner. Uh, we, have a, we have a gospel that is not just good news. We have a gospel that is, first, very bad news. But then, it's very good news. We have, we have a hope. And so, Isaiah, from 40 to 66, these next 27 chapters, preach this message of grace. If you split those 27 chapters up into three uh, parts, you would get nine, nine, and nine, all 27. The first nine books, the uh, first nine chapters of Isaiah... It starts with 40. Verse number one, comfort. They deal with God delivering Israel. Now he's beat up Israel for 39 chapters. Now he's talking about deliverance. And this is what I'm going to do. The last nine books of those, of those uh, 27, uh, the last nine books deal with God and his glory. And the new heaven and the new earth. A lot of times it's, uh, it's millennial reign and I'm going to build a new thing. The future, the prophecy. And it kind of mimics how Revelation ends. There's going to be a great judgment, and I'm going to create a new heaven. I'm going to wipe all this away, and I'm going to make everything new. But right in the middle nine of those 27, I'm just calling it the New Testament of Isaiah, if I can call it that, because it kind of fits that way. Right in the middle of those 27 books of the New Testament of Isaiah, not the beginning nine, but not the end nine, is the middle nine. And that, those middle nine books, what they teach is God's grace to the individual, So the first nine from chapter 40 on deal with Israel and saving Israel. The middle nine deal with salvation of the individual man. And the last nine deal with the future. Well, right in the middle of those books to the individual man, the preaching of grace, right in the middle of those nine, you have four on one side, four on the other. The fifth one in the middle is Isaiah 53. If you would turn there, we're going to park there for a little bit. Isaiah 53 is right smack dab in the middle of the New Testament of Isaiah. We talk about the Romans Road all the time. This is kind of like the Isaiah Road right here. You can get saved in Isaiah too, just like you can get saved in Romans. <laughs> I almost didn't want to read. I almost didn't want to teach on this, or, or preach on this, or do this, just because this chapter is so well known. And man, this chapter is so. Uh, I almost feel like it's too high. I can't do it. <laughs> other preachers, other preachers, other teachers, other men could do this. Isaiah 55 Isaiah 53 is so lofty. Isaiah 53 is so important. It is the linchpin. If you think about the Old Testament judgment and the New Testament grace and wonder how can we get there? If you think about the Old Testament God and the New Testament picture of grace, how can I, how can I meet in the middle? Well, the linchpin is right in Isaiah 53. Let's read this chapter with me. Read it and try to do this. I know it's Wednesday night. I'm going to try to be out of here on time. But if, <laughs> but if you could forget about the grocery list and forget about the kids going to bed and forget about work and school and things you had to go through today, and let's just take a few minutes here and let's just think about the implications of this chapter of the Bible, how important it is to our faith, how important. It is It is. It is, it is the chain link that's, that holds us together in our Bible, and as Christians. So try to not tonight to read it with me with fresh ears. And then as you read it, think about what you did during this chapter. Think about your role. And let's not, let's not let it become common as we hear the words we've probably heard before. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. For the first three verses here, there's no attraction to this man. He's a root out of dry ground, and in verse number one, nobody even believes us. I mean, the world doesn't believe what we believe. The world doesn't want to hear it. It's not attractive. If Jesus was so attractive to the world, why isn't our building packed out tonight? Why, why aren't we building new buildings right now? Because the city of Hattiesburg can't wait to hear God's word tonight. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him. In verse 2, he is despised and rejected of men. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In verse number 4, I like that word. Surely he hath borne our griefs. It's like Isaiah turns and like, hey, listen, this was my fault. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. The Bible says, you know, it's, it's my fault. It's the world's fault. Surely it's us. But we pointed the finger at him and said, God's, this is God's fault. He's doing it to him, not me. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. We are healed. Uh, I want you to notice the the pronouns here. He was wounded. Why? Our transgressions. He was bruised. Why? Our iniquities. Whose peace was it? It was our peace, but where was the chastisement on him? And whose stripes were that they? they were his. For who? We? For me? It was all placed on him because of me. And Isaiah, surely it was me. And we thought God did that to him. It reminds me of John chapter 9. Lord, who, why is this guy blind? Who did sin? His mother, his father, or him? And people looked at Jesus thinking, what's his, look at this guy. He probably deserves to be killed like this. Smitten of God. Verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right in the middle of this middle chapter of this middle of the New Testament of Isaiah, we have the word all, and then at the end we have the word all. Sounds like Romans 3, right? All have sinned. All we like sheep, and whose iniquity did he bear? All of ours. Verse number 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. That word because there can almost be substituted for although. We change conjunctions a little bit the way we say it today. Although he had done no violence. He was cut off from this land of the living, which means he died. He didn't do anything for it. And Isaiah is looking at this picture of Jesus and says, surely it was me. Surely it was us. Yet we pointed the finger at him and said, it's God's doing that to him. And Isaiah says, it was us. It was me. It was our sins. He took my iniquity. It was all of ours. Just like sheep run astray, I do the same thing. And because I'm a sheep that runs astray and we are sheep that run astray, he takes all all the iniquity of us all and puts it on him. He was oppressed, afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He didn't say a word. He just took it until they killed him. And why did they kill him? For no reason. He didn't do anything. Verse 1 through 9 depict a lot of suffering here, uh, even more so than even in the Gospels. You know, to read the Gospels, and sometimes it just says, and he was crucified, and right and the left, you know, the guys on the right and the left, and this happened, and his mother and James and all this, and uh, John is there. But Isaiah 53 gives a pretty descriptive uh, 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 chapter on, on Jesus' death. But verse number 10, the tone changes, and there's that one three-letter word, Yet. It doesn't say and, because the conjunction and would mean in addition to, or also, on top of that, this is what happened to him. But there's a change in and. It's kind of like, but, here here the story changes. Yet, all those things happen, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Well, that makes no sense. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All of a sudden, the chapter doesn't make sense. He is bruised, he is beaten, he is battered, he is torn, he takes this crucifixion. But it pleased God to do that, and he's going to see his future generations follow after him. He's going to see his seed. What kind of man can die but still see his children? Well, there's only one. Thank God for that. Verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied kind of a key word in this passage, verses 1 through 9 are suffering, verses 10 through 12 are satisfaction. When Jesus died on the cross, the penalty for sin was satisfied. The Bible says he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Sounds like Romans ten thirteen. for whosoever shall call. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him Will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. When I read that passage, I just think there's no way we could ever get rid of that. That is the that is the gospel. It is not just a linchpin of the gospel, it is the gospel. Jesus died, and he buried, and he rose again for my sin for your sin and it was satisfied on the cross. It's not just a doctrine that we teach, it's something we live by. It's something we just don't drive around without. We just don't pull the pull the linchpin out of that passage and say, "Well, Isaiah's a book, I don't really care about Isaiah 53 whatever." It's vital. If we don't have Isaiah 53, we are dead in our trespasses and sins tonight. But thank God the, Verses 1 through 9, the suffering brings the satisfaction. The suffering of the Savior brings the satisfaction of the Father for my sin and your sin. What can we learn from this? First of all, Jesus was a pattern for suffering. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but before we can have joy in this life, sometimes there's suffering. Nobody suffered more than Jesus ever did, and he stood in the place of suffering for you and I. Isaiah just said it. Surely it was because of us. It was because of me. All of my sin... And he dies on that cross and he suffers, but why? The New Testament tells us, he, he, the Bible says he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. He, there was nothing going to stop him. Why? For the joy that was set before him. It wasn't the joy of the cross. The cross is not joyful. It was the joy of knowing, verse number, 11 and, uh, verse number 10, 11, and 12 are coming. I'm going to see my kids one day. I'm going to see my sons, I'm going to see those who I've ransomed, I'm going to see my daughters, I'm going to raise again from the dead, and I'm going to see them all again one day. There's going to be tears sometimes before there's joy, there's going to be rain before the sun, in this instance there's a cross before there's a crown. If we go on past this linchpin, right 53, right in the middle of all those books of the New Testament the 27 last books of Isaiah. We go to chapter 54 and we move on just quickly. And this is written more or less to Israel. The next word is sing. Because of the crucifixion, what do we do? Sing, O barren, that thou didst not bear. Break forth in the singing, cry aloud. This is a celebration. Why? Because Israel's coming back home. There will be a day where Israel accepts him again. Look at verse number 8. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee. The Lord went through suffering so that He could have mercy on us. Verse number nine, or for Israel here, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I swore unto Noah, uh, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. He's talking to Israel. I love you, and just like I'm not going to judge the world with water anymore, just like that rainbow was up in the sky, I promise you, I'm coming back. Promise, I'm coming to redeem. But not only that, chapter fifty-five is written, the third word we have it, the second and third word, to everyone. Chapter 55 and 54 don't exist without chapter 53. Look at 55.1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. What do we get to do? Come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, but I'm too poor, I can't afford it. I can't, I'm not good enough for heaven. I gotta get th- have you heard that? I've got to get things right before I go to church. I've got to get things right before I get saved. Isaiah 55 one says, no, 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 no. Come, you that have no money, come ye, buy and eat. How do you buy without money? The Lord says, I paid for it. Buy and eat. Yay. Here's that word again. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now I love that verse. The Lord says, the storehouse is open. I have unlocked the door. The price is on the price tag, but don't worry about the price. I paid for everything in there. Come on. And to the Jew in verse 5, chapter 54, come on, Israel, I want you back. And to the Gentile in chapter 55, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse number 1. There's a couple of things we want to notice here. Just, again, going through a little Bible study, but, man, if somebody could preach, this would be awesome. <laughs> You could almost preach this Bible study. Come ye to the waters. The word waters is going to refer to, uh, is really, is going to mimic, you know, water is necessary. For me to live, I've got to have, it can't go without more more than a week, more than four or five days a week without water. Uh, Also, the word waters here is Plural. Uh, it con- the connotation here in the Hebrew, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's a superlative. So like our good, better, and best, we wouldn't say good, gooder, and goodest, but we'd say good, better, and best. The waters is not just come to the water, it's come to the plural, waters, which means I'm not giving you a cup of water, I'm giving you all the waters. What do you tell the woman at the well? I'll give you water, you'll never have to drink again. Uh, somebody sing that song, I asked for water and he gave me the whole well. Come to the waters, plural. All the waters in the earth, all the waters in the sea, dive in. Come to the waters. Waters, Water is a superlative. It's like our best, and it's plural. It speaks of abundance and quality. Listen, when we we come to Christ, there's abundance and there's quality. John 10 talks about the sheep. I'll, I'll give them abundant life. And there's a quality of life. The wine here speaks. It says, come ye to the waters, and he hath no money. Verse number one, come ye, buy and eat. It come and buy wine. The wine speaks of joy. This is a drink of the soul. When you receive Christ, when you see the chapter 53 suffering, and then you see the invitation in chapter 55, come. Not only do I get sustenance and water and satisfaction and abundance and quality, but I get joy. Proverbs 31.6 says, give wine unto those that are of heavy hearts. This This is a picture of cheer them up. Give them joy. Uh, obviously, this is not—we're not. We're not <laughs> this is not alcohol. We won't get into that conversation tonight. But this is give them joy. When I receive Christ, I've got joy. But not also that. Not only that. It says, "Come you by. Come you. Come by and eat. Come by wine. And then the next one I'm drinking is milk. So I get to drink the waters. I get to drink of the wine, and now I get to drink of the milk. The milk speaks of growth and development. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Peter said that. Uh, Going back to the wine here, I saw this quote and I thought this was, this is wonderful. Why don't don't I have joy? Why don't you have joy? Well, salvation, first of all, but, you know, as a Christian, why don't you have joy? Somebody said this, joy is the flag that is flown in the heart when the master is in residence. You know, you might be saved, but if the master is not in the residence, you can't live a life of joy. You can't be a Christian. If you're not joyful, listen, there's something going on inside, there's something wrong. The master is not on his throne in your heart, in your life, in your castle, because when he's there, the flag of joy comes up. Joy is the flag that is flown in the heart when the master is in residence. How do I get that joy? He says, come on, it's free. Put me in charge. He says, drink the milk. It's growth and development. Desire the sincere milk of the word. When we look at chapter 55 and the wonderful invitation... I mean, I just have this marked up. I love this verse, verse number seven. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, God's that mean old God in the Old Testament that beats up people and screams and yells and throws lightning bolts down and swallows people up. No, God's the God that's of mercy, and he desires mercy to us. And he did that all through chapter 53. So what are the lessons for tonight? First of all, we read, we read in Isaiah 53, that middle linchpin, that chain link that keeps the Old and New Testament together, that brings me law and grace together where I could never meet the two. What does that linchpin chapter teach us? First of all, there's going to be suffering before satisfaction. Uh, the next one's an easy one. There's no salvation outside of Christ. We read Acts chapter 8, the New Testament. And what did Philip preach when he read this exact passage? He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He was dumb. He didn't say a word. And the Ethiopian eunuch saying, Who is this? Who is he talking about? Why is he talking about this? Can you show me? And Philip says, Yes, I can. I know exactly who that is. He shows him Jesus. He shows him the linchpin of the faith. He shows him the one that stands between the Old and the New Testament and brings them together. What happened in Exodus chapter 17 when the people of Israel were thirsty? Isaiah fifty five. We just said, "Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth!" When the people were thirsty, and said, "Moses, we're going to kill you, we're going to stone you." When sinful, wretched, wicked man says, "Give me to drink," what's done next? They take a staff and strike the rock. Go to First Corinthians real fast. We gotta let's let's do this one verse if we can. First Corinthians ten. We haven't turned too much tonight, but we'll, we'll turn to this one. First Corinthians 10. We read Exodus 17. Moses, give us water. You came to kill us. What's wrong with you? We're going to die. Sinful, depraved man cries out for water. And what does Moses do? He strikes the rock. And what comes out of the rock when it is struck, when it is smitten, when it is scorned, when it is bruised for our iniquities? Water. Living water. First Corinthians 10. What's the rock? In verse number 4. Bible says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch, after Jesus, had already gone and ascended, asked, What is this about? I want to know about this guy. Can you show me? And Philip preaches Jesus. Moses in the Old Testament, without knowing what they're living, without, they're actually being a living presentation of the gospel, cries out to God and says, God, would you... Get these people off my back. Would you help me? They're going to kill me. And he says, strike the rock. And he strikes the rock. And when the rock is beaten, when the rock is torn, Isaiah 53, when the rock is bruised for our iniquities, when he's oppressed and afflicted, and we esteemed him not because we were thirsty and depraved, out of the rock came living water. And sinful man is satisfied, sinful man is forgiven. There's no salvation outside of Christ. The next lesson we see, and really just the next question I have, is knowing all this. This is nothing new for us, but tonight we're just going to look at it with fresh eyes a little bit and be done. How is our witness to the world? When we know what Isaiah 53 means, and if you, if you read that passage, it just stirs your heart back again. It warms your heart to the things of God. How is your witness to the world? Somebody needs to know there's somebody dying of thirst out there that needs it. There's somebody that would want to claim Isaiah 55-1 and come and, buy without bread, come and buy without money. Come buy and eat. Come get the waters. Come get drink the wine. Come drink the milk and grow spiritually. They're depraved. They're depressed. They're lost. And we hold the gospel inside our church walls. we got to tell the world. How is our witness of Isaiah 53? And last of all, have we thanked him? This is Thanksgiving time. Have you thanked the Lord for Isaiah 53 It would be a great thing to just sit down and read that and just say, thank you, Lord. I didn't deserve that. Read what Jesus had to go through for me and for you. Have we thanked him at this time of Thanksgiving? we go every day without even pausing to take a second to thank God uh, for for sending his son? Uh, Years ago, I just... Not necessarily on a regular basis, but when we started having kids. You know, they're so little and young, and they, they're in their crib. And then even growing up, and we had the one, and then Kyle and Cameron had the two. And we go in there and sometimes just sneak in there and pray with them at night. And it was fun to do. And uh, they're in their little footy pajamas, and they smell good. They're all clean. And you can still smell shampoo in the hair, you know. And it was fun to get in their bed and just pray with them. And sometimes they're asleep at night. And uh, now it's the now it's the four. Uh, it's the three, three wild ones and the boy. Uh, I heard one of the missionaries say he had three, I think, three, three or four daughters and a boy. He said, This is my rose among the thorns, talking about his one boy. I have a rose among the thorns. Go in there and pray with the kids. and It's such a sweet time. And sometimes they're asleep and pray with them anyway and just pray in their ear, you know. And uh, you get down there one day and you think, I only have one son. And I'm praying protection over him and 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 guidance and direction. The Lord keep him pure, keep him clean, protect him, Lord. Keep the evil away from him. And there with his face on mine and falling asleep, you think, God, how did you give your only son for me? I only have one. I only have one. I wouldn't give him up for anybody. And it wouldn't be... Uh, one man, it wouldn't be a congregation, it wouldn't be anybody. If it's between my family and me, my only son and you, that's my son. And God only had one son, and he gave him up in Isaiah 53. While we're praying for protection, he sent his own son to be brutally beaten and murdered on that cross, tortured and killed because of me. Romans says it pretty well, for scarcely will a righteous man For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God committeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I wouldn't give my son for a righteous or a good man. I for sure wouldn't give him to some sinner to save their life instead of his. And I think about what God had to do with Jesus and what Jesus had to go through, knowing his ministry. Would end with his death on that cross, knowing the fulfillment of the will of his father, and he did it anyway, and God did it anyway, not for a righteous man, not even for a good man, but for a sinner. God commendeth his love toward us. For me and you. You know, in light of Romans 53, that linchpin, that 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 chain link, that foundational scripture that we hold to, we cling to at a time like Easter where we read that passage and think what God did for us. Let's live in light of that today. Uh, nothing new tonight, nothing flashy, nothing unbelievable, but just just a fresh look at Jesus on the cross. Uh, I don't know of a more powerful, powerful place in Scripture to read. And so let's leave tonight just praising him. Let's leave him, worshiping him, thanking him. He links the old and the new. He links that law that I could never fulfill and grabs grace and brings it to me. He links that cross and brings the crown. He links the suffering and the sorrow, my suffering, my sorrow, and brings me joy. And all he does is says, come. I don't have to pay a dime. I don't have to pay a thing. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is come, and I reap the rewards. If you're not saved tonight, trust Christ. You can come down front. We can show you right now. Tonight, today is the day of salvation. You can know for sure how you're saved. If you're saved and you don't have joy, you need to ask yourself, why? Maybe Jesus is in there, but he's not in charge. Maybe you've taken back things. I've just learned in my Christian life, i got to keep giving it back. i got to keep giving it back. I take it back, and i got to keep giving it back to him. Read Isaiah 53. Read the crucifixion in the Gospels. Read Psalm 22, passages where Jesus did that, and you think, if somebody would do that for me, I'll give my life for them. Let those, let those scriptures warm your heart again if you're, if you're falling away from the Lord. If your joy is not full, come to him. Just like an unsafe person would come, come in faith and he'll give you your joy back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you've given us.